It's always interesting is that uh, my wife and I have looked forward to being here. And it's interesting when you come to a new place. We've never been to this city before and your church. But we always anticipate that we're going to have a great time. We're among God's people. And it doesn't matter where we go anywhere in the world, if we have an opportunity to speak or, or supply preach, we just assume that we are going to fellowship, we're going to hear God's word, we're going to worship, and Dana and I assume we are going to make new friends. So we look forward to the friendships that we build today with you. So as that was a long introduction on my body. I'm not sure where you got all that stuff from. <laughs> I will tell you, Dana and I just, and, uh, we just transitioned to East Texas Baptist University where uh, I'm teaching a school of religion and Dana's a professor in the school of education. And this has been, how many of you have ever had one of those transitions that's just been an absolute nightmare? You ever had one of those? And you look and think, <laughs> only by the grace of God do we get through it. Well, we have, our, we have three children and one's at uh, her PhD in chemistry at University of Toronto and other two are finishing up their bachelor's degrees. But when we moved, I started a year early at, at the school. And our youngest was in 12th grade, so we decided it was better to have Dana stay in Fort Worth, Dallas area. And then I would commute for a year, for the whole year. And I went, I, I went on Sunday nights to school. I'm gonna feel awkward on there. Sunday nights to school, and then, and then uh, on Friday, as soon as my last class was over, my car was packed, my cooler was ready, I got my car and I drove home. But for a year, I had to commute. And it, I don't know about you, but, I enjoy my family and they enjoy me. We, we, I enjoyed seeing them and so it was, it was a difficult year. But I thought I have this extra time because I had no TV, I'm locked in my little apartment on campus and, uh, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna really get in shape. Obviously, round is a shape, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> but I are in the Metroplex, I'm Canadian, I was in a hockey league, I was playing hockey twice a week, at least twice a week. Uh, I was riding my bicycle nine, ten miles a day every day before we moved, and I thought, so I, I brought, and I played, they had racquetball at the university, I brought my racquetball racket, and I brought all this in my little apartment, I brought my hockey gear, and I thought, well, there's a league in Shreveport I can go play in, and, and I brought my bicycle, and I didn't realize with no shoulders and big trucks with big mirrors, I didn't want to die, and I put it all by my front door of my apartment, and for a year, I faithfully walked past my hockey gear, my racket, my bike, and went to work and didn't, didn't exercise, I don't think, once. I had the best of intentions. Fitting that little bike, in, I fit that bike into my little Toyota and all that gear and everything else, I crammed it in there, I brought it, I was faithful, I had it there, and I walked by over and over again, and I thought, you know, it should be nice to go play out know, in the ice of Shreveport, and I went and I did ride my bike once, I almost got ran over six times, I thought, I'm not doing that again. And for a, for a year, though, I consistently walked by, and I know I needed to exercise. And I got bigger, and I bigger, and bigger, and gained weight, and gained weight for a year. And I thought, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I have all the equipment to do it. And yet I just kept walking by it. And I thought, in so many ways, the Christian life can be like that too, can't it? We know what we're supposed to do in the Christian life. We know how we're supposed to walk with him and we know that we're to be salt and light and we grow up, some of you have grown up in the church and you read in your Bible, you know that we're supposed to get out there and we do these things, but what happens often in the Christian life? The things we start out to know we're supposed to do, sometimes our discipline just doesn't get us there, does it? Have you ever been there where there's something you know you're supposed to do, you, maybe you know you're supposed to share the gospel with your coworker, 
You know you're supposed to walk down the block and you have a neighbor struggling and you're to step out there. You know you have a friend or you have someone you, you work with that you're supposed to do something with and what happens often? Well, maybe I'll do it next time. And we keep telling ourselves, maybe I'll do it next time. And there, there came a point, especially in, my, in playing hockey, I don't know if you, how many of you are, are active in sports now, but it, I was at 50 years old, I was the oldest person in our league. And I'm playing with all these 20-some-year-old kids. At a certain point, I knew that I had not played long enough that I couldn't get out there with 20-year-old kids. The concussion was an indication. <laughs> but, but with that, it certainly, I, I put it off and put it off and put it off until finally it was just something I didn't even think about walking by. It became habit. And so what I want to do is, is, is we, I want to look some at the life of the Apostle Paul. How many of you have read much about the Apostle Paul? Have you ever been amazed with the Apostle Paul? What are the things that he faced? When you look at Paul's life and you see these missionary journeys he does, how well does it go for him in those missionary journeys? A little bit of persecution, a little bit of rock throwing, a little bit of running out of towns, dragged out of place. How is Paul treated everywhere he goes as he starts establishing churches? Do you realize when you read Paul, there's these people that follow him around from church to church trying to mess up everything he does? And I look at this man when he describes his life. He's imprisoned. He's beaten by whips. He's dragged out and stoned outside of a city. He's got people opposed to him everywhere he goes. He's, got, he's, he's lost in, in a shipwreck. He's off in the deep. He's bitten by a serpent. All this stuff that you lay into, into the life of Paul. But one thing that amazes me when I read him is his absolute consistency to follow through in the ways of God and the purposes of God, sharing everywhere he gets a chance, he shares the good news. And as I read about him, I look at my own life, and at times I, I, I stand there and wonder about his consistency and his dedication and his willingness and, and, and face everything that he faces. And I feel a little ashamed in my own life when I realize sometimes it just, it just seems like it's up and down at different times. And I look at Paul and I read his, his, his words and I, you read his testimony and you see him in the book of Acts and you write his, read his letters. And really, the life of Paul is not a mystery. He actually explains how he has this consistency in his Christian life. And he lays it out in a very clear way. He lays it out, he says, it, it comes down to one thing. He says, when I'm looking at my life, you look at this, you look at Paul, he just seems to never stop like the Energizer Bunny, isn't he? And he just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. I say, how do you do that, Paul? He says, it's not a mystery. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you how I do that. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, he makes a simple statement, and he explains the motivation, what drives him to faithfully share the good news of Jesus, regardless of everything he faces. And we'll look at this passage in a bit. If you'll turn to 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, but he makes this statement of verse 14. He says, for it is the love of God that compels me. He makes a clear statement that all he does is determined by one factor. Surely Paul was dedicated. Surely Paul was consistent in different things. Surely Paul may have been stubborn at times, but when he boils down his life and what we see, you see one consistent thing. He says it boils down to one thing. The love of God compels me to do the things that I do. The love of God keeps me consistent. So this morning, I want us to look at a passage where Paul explains his life and ministry but as I do this, I want you to notice how Paul shares how the love of God impacts his life. So as I'm reading through this, and we'll talk through this, maybe it's a bit of my, the teacher in me, but, but I want you to watch and look, how does Paul describe how the love of God impacts his life? 
How does Paul describe how the love of God determines the direction of his life, but also how does, it, how does Paul describe how it changed his life, but also how it changed the way he viewed other people? And as I do that, I want you to also challenge you to be thinking through what motivates you in your Christian life. Paul will tell us what motivated him to do the things he did. And as we see that, I want us to, to look at those words, but also we always, when we look at the Scripture, we look inward as well and say, now, what motivates me in my Christian life? And I want you to watch how it impacts Paul and then also to challenge us to see how does it impact us personally. So let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I will, I'll start at verse 12. And maybe let me just set this up, one, one, interrupt myself one, one bit. When Paul's writing to these people, he has these that are, people are attacking him and they're questioning his credentials. They're questioning his ministry. They're saying, why do you do the things you do, Paul? And they're, and they're trying to knock Paul and all his ministry. And here he's giving a defense. He's saying, this is why I do what I do. He says, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you the opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to recon be reconciled to God. For he has made himself who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a powerful passage. And as people are attacking Paul and attacking his credentials and, and questioning why he does what he does, he says, this is why. He starts with this, this, is, is this love of God that compelled him. And I thought about that, and we'll look at this a little bit today, but the love of God, we sing about the love of God, we talk about the love of God. What's the most familiar verse in the Bible? For God so loved, isn't it? John 3.16. But if we ever get to the point where the love of God becomes a cliche, we're in trouble. If we ever get to the point where we take it, the love of God is a common thing, where it doesn't overwhelm us, we become in trouble. And Paul, in all that he had faced, had never got over this love of God. It was a driving force in his life. But we know that God loves us, so we have many scriptures about it. I just want to remind you of a couple key scriptures about the love of God. Obviously, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Does that become common for us as Christians? 
Well, that John 3.16, we memorized it when we, were, when we were young, some of us. But does it still grip you with the same intensity that God so loved the world? Romans 8, 37 through 39, Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights or nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which was in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when he, we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But I think the one that has impacted me the most over these recent days is from the, the Apostle John in his letters. And probably some of you grew up singing this as a camp song, but he makes this statement. So he's at the end of his life, he's in exile on the island of Patmos. And all that he had seen, all that he had witnessed, he's described as the one that Jesus loved. And all that he'd gone through, and here he is at the end of his days, he's on an island, exiled on this island of Patmos, and he's writing about the message of Jesus, and he makes this statement. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And this word in there, it says, Behold what manner, is a word of wonderment and amazement. Still, at the end of his life, he is overwhelmed and in wonderment of the love of God. He still was grappling with what it meant to be loved. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. And when you look at Paul's life and his dedication and his unwavering dedication to the Lord and to witness others, he says, Paul, how do you do this? Why do you do this? What is it that keeps you consistent? And he says, I've never got over this love of God. It's never become commonplace. And you see that consistently through those in our scriptures that are serving him. Well, let me ask you today, as I ask myself, how have you responded to the love of God? I have not, I've not read any new scriptures, have I? You're familiar with all of those scriptures I've read. How have you responded to the love of God? Today, do you, does it still overwhelm you? You still read about his love and stand in awe and wonder that the God of the universe loved us. Does it still overwhelm you today? Are we experiencing the love of God in a real and personal and practical way? I think that God's love brings peace into our life. God's love brings an abiding joy into our lives. God's love brings a sense of family and belonging. God's love brings hope. God's love brings a sense of purpose in our lives. God's love brings us to love Him. He says, we love Him because He first loved us. Well, what about this love? He, he starts with the love in verse 14. For the love of God compels us because we judge this. Now, that word that he uses is the word that's compel. Your translations may read it differently. But it's a word that Paul uses. It's an interesting word because we can talk about God's love. We can think about God's love. But he describes it, the motivating factor, he says, the love of God compels. And it's, just, it's an interesting word. It can be used a lot of different ways, but how it's really, how we see it here is it's a word that comes in and presses in around you, and it holds you in, and it pushes you out to cause you to do something. So it's not just to ponder the love of God, but it says the love of God is this active thing that, that gets me in there and it presses me in. Have you ever had someone just kind of push you out? And it, and, it, and it presses in on him and it gives him a direction, but it doesn't just, it's not just there for him to, to ponder God's love. 
it pushes him out there. It pushes him out into the world. It pushes, he says, everything I'm doing, he says, I'm being compelled. I'm being, I'm being grabbed together and I'm being pushed out into all of this ministry I'm doing. He says, if you wonder why I'm doing what I'm doing, you wonder how I go through all I do, you wonder about the message I'm sharing, it's because I get gripped and overwhelmed by this love of God and it thrusts me out into this world. I thought, what does that look like? Because Paul, we have this great example, and I thought, what are some other examples in our Scripture? What does it look like to be compelled by God's love? I'll give you just a couple. Luke chapter 5, when Jesus heals the leper. What happens to the leper when Jesus heals him? Jesus says, don't go tell anybody who healed you, didn't he? I'm healing you, but don't go tell anybody. What does the leper do? He tells everybody. Think about John chapter 4 and this woman who's a pretty bad reputation, isn't she? And he's the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and she's an outcast. And some of the thinking is she's there at that time of the day because she's an outcast in her society. She has all these husbands, and the one she's living with is not her husband, and all this kind of mess that the world has brought, and the sin has made a mess of her life. And she meets the love of Jesus at the well, doesn't she? What does she do? What does she immediately do after that? She runs back to a town where she's an outcast and tells everybody what? Come meet the man that I just met, the Messiah, who knew everything about me. I think about, I just, we go through example after example. I thought of Luke 8, the demoniac, the guy that's in chains, and he's up, he's up in, the, in, the, in the tombs, and the people have locked him up, put chains on him. He's off by himself, and he encounters the love of God. And what happens? He says, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, you can't go with me. You need to go back to your people and tell everybody this good news. When you encounter in a real and personal way and become amazed with, overwhelmed with the love of God, there wasn't a chance of keeping these people in quiet that encountered the love of God, was there? Well, the love of God had a really radical impact on the life of Paul. And I'm going to walk through, quickly through this passage. But in verse 15, he says, For the love of Christ, verse 14, The love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that one died for all, then all died. The gospel message. Verse 15, he says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Jesus died for us that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the, them who died, the one who died for us and rose again. God's love forever changed the focus of Paul's life. And as you go through and we can carefully read through this passage, you'll say, he did this in my life but now he's going to do this in yours. He's going to go from the singular focusing on himself to the plural looking out, going out to everybody else who's listening and to the Corinthian church he's writing to. He says, when I encountered this love of God who laid his life down so I could have a relationship with him and he's raised again, he said, he said it changed every whit about everything about my focus. He says, I was no longer, when I encountered this love of God, I no longer was able to live my life for myself, but for the one who expresses love for me. Where was Paul when he got encountered this love for the first time? On the Damascus Road, wasn't he? What was he going to do on that Damascus Road? He was going to go find Christians and persecute them. What happened after he met the love of God? He goes and gets his eyesight real quickly in that town, and he goes out sharing the gospel so much that he has to be let down and snuck out of the city. And then he goes off to Arabia, and he goes off sharing the gospel everywhere. It changed everything about his perspective. He says, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him. 
That doesn't mean you have to change everything. Some of you, you're in your career, or your, your training, and your education, or your, in your, all that you're doing in your life. So it doesn't mean that you change everything you're doing. It means your whole perspective changes. It means as I go into work this week, my perspective changes. I no longer live for myself. It, it doesn't mean I don't want that promotion at work, but it means that there's other things that are more important, aren't there? There's people. It doesn't mean when I go into the school or the classroom that I'm teaching or wherever I go, it doesn't mean that it's about me getting my material across. Do I need to get it across? For those of you at the university, we know we have an accreditation agencies, don't we? And we have student learner outcomes and we have IEPs and we have all this stuff. We've got to fill out this red tape that drives us nuts. I still have to do that, but what's my perspective? My perspective is when I walk into the class, I realize that I'm on a different agenda. I've been hired to do a job, and I do it to the best of my ability, but I'm looking to see where God's working in my class. When I'm in my neighborhood, I'm looking to see, is it just to get to know the neighbors or get in and get the garage door shut real quick? No. God knows everybody in my neighborhood. When I'm going out grocery shopping, when it doesn't matter what I'm doing, my perspective has changed. I can no longer live for myself. We tend to be pretty self-centered, don't we? And he says, when you've encountered the love of God, you no longer live for yourself, but for the one who died on the cross for you. Your perspective changes. Well, verse 16, he says, it changed the way Paul looked at other people. And this has been a really important verse. Therefore, from now on, we no longer, so we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ in the flesh, yet now we regard him no longer. He says, we no longer look at people the same way. How does our world look at us? It says it. It's talking about the world. When you're in Christ, you don't look at people the same way. How does the world look at people? Often on the outward appearance, isn't it? Often it's what I can get from that person. It's often very judgmental, isn't it? Often the world looks at us in a very unfair way, doesn't it? That person's not going to amount to much. You know, that person's got this problem or that problem or this, or they, they're not this and, they're, and they don't have this in place. Our world does not look at us very nicely, does it? It uses us and often totally misunderstands and misreads us. He says, when I became in Christ, when I met the love of God, when the love of God came into my life and started pushing me out there, he says, I no longer looked at anybody the same way. How did Paul look at people from that point on? How did he look at them? Did he look at their education? Did he look at their social status? Did he look at their race? Did he look at their gender? Did he look at what they could do for him? He says, when you encounter the love of God, you don't look at people the same way. You look at them according to the love of God and the gospel. You never see people the same way again. That's radical, isn't it? We have a tendency to look at people like the world does. He says the love of God will compel you to look at them differently. He looked on them whether they'd experienced the love of God. Have they experienced the love of God? Have they been set free by the love of God? He didn't want anybody to miss out on the love of God that he had experienced. I'll give you a practical example. As your pastor shared, many of you are related to the university here. 
This, a while back, I had the most awful, difficult student I'd ever had in one of my classes. I had about 50 students in there. Guess where he sat? The very last row. He was disruptive. He put on a big set of headphones one day. I know he's watching Netflix. When he's not watching Netflix, he was talking to other people. He was rude. He, and then he just burst out and answered some question with some silly answer and disrupted everything about my class. How would you feel about that? <laughs> As a professor, how would you feel about that? And I knew, and, and so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, he can, you know, as long as he doesn't disrupt anybody, he can sit in the back, watch Netflix, and he can get that F, and he can take another professor next semester, right? Because that's how it works. There's only one problem. I've experienced the love of God. How am I supposed to view him? Someone who's not been overwhelmed and experienced the love of God and been set free by the love of God. Am I held accountable to make sure he passes or does what he's supposed to for the grade? Yes. Is that my primary, primary thing that I need to look at him with? No. I did that. I walked through and he got the grade that he earned. You know what? He earned a better grade. But it's interesting as I got talking to him, I realized I got in my office and I sat there and I started praying for my class. And he said, this student doesn't know me. And he has an opportunity in your class for you to get to share somehow to come alongside him. So I started befriending him. I started talking to him. And, and, and that was the student that I was talking to that I just led to the Lord when he called me. And after he shared, and he, as he prayed to receive Christ, you know what he said? He said, I got a bunch of other friends. He's on the football team. He said, I got a bunch of other friends that don't know anything about God. But we have questions. Can we come by and talk to you? Guess what I said? I got an open door. The love of God compels us to look at people differently. He says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to how the world looks at them. But we look at them through the love of God. God's love transformed his life into a new creation of verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It's old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Everything was different. This was radical when he's writing the Corinthians. It's radical for our day. Everything about your life becomes new. Your perspective becomes new. You're transformed into a new creation. In verse 18 through 20, he states that we are now ambassadors for Christ, commissioned to share about this love through God. And he says here, he says that you... He says, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus and has given us. That's you and I as well. It's not just the Corinthian church, but all, all people who've come into this relationship. He's given us today the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though Christ were pleading through us. These truths were not simply for Paul. And a lot of times we can read them and we can say, well, that's really neat for Paul. And we can look at his life and say, well, how, Paul, how are you doing all this? How do you stay consistent? But the purpose of this letter to the Corinthian church and then over for us is so that we would grab a hold of it. So that we would apply it. So that we would let the love of God impact us. 
It's not just an old dusty book. It's life. It's words for life and godliness, words to live in a way that honors Him. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this, given the ministry of reconciliation. Everyone here today who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've been given that ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, an ambassador as if God were pleading through you. Now, how is he going to do it? According to verse 14, he's going to overwhelm you with his love, and his love is going to come in and press in around you, and it's going to push you out into this world with his love, not our opinions, not our perspectives, not our biases, but his love is going to drive you out there to share to bring it home, he mentions it twice in this passage. That you're from Christ, your new creation. Everything's different. So before we lived our lives for ourselves, we had our agenda, we're going and getting our training, we have our goals, we have our plans, we have everything we want in place to make sure we retire well. Those are all fine things, but now it's a new creation. We have a different perspective. Our lives are not for ours, they're for his. And what's his life about? For God so loved. And now he's got us. And he's pushing us out to share. I think about that, and we don't have to share because we have to. We have the disciplines of the Christian life, but you don't, you don't go share the gospel because you need to be disciplined to do it. You don't go follow everything in the scriptures because, oh, I know I'm supposed to do that and I've got to be a good person because I'm a rule follower. Some of those may take some place, but, but why do we do all this? What is the motivating factor? It's love. It's a very simple message. But if we go try to live the Christian life and try to go on mission and try to go share the gospel and try to go do these things because we know we're supposed to, you're going to end up like my exercise program last year. Won't you? How many of us consistently force ourselves to do those things? Some of you are better at it than others. But that sucks the joy out of it too, doesn't it? I'm going to do this because I have to. I'm going to do this because I've been overwhelmed with the love of God that compels me and presses me in and shapes me and forms me and pushes me out there that my agenda is not mine, that I don't look at anybody else the same way, and now I'm an ambassador about this love of God and I get to share it because it's really an amazing message. And I don't look at that person as that rotten person or that difficult person at work or that person that's always being this way or that way or never gets their life right. I look at them according to the gospel message. Have they been overwhelmed with the love of God like I have? And if they've not, they're missing out. And I don't want them to miss out because my Lord doesn't want them to miss out. When we see Paul... It's not out of a sense of duty or stubbornness that kept him on mission. It was radically impacted by the love of God and the ongoing relationship of love with him. Let me ask you, how have you been impacted by the love of God? What evidence is there in your life you've been pushed out into the world by the love of God? You find yourself in day in and day out encountering people and your heart's broken for them and you want to share, not because you think it's a good thing, but because something inside pushes you out there to share. I will tell you it's a whole lot more fun that way. 
So I've been a part of Evangelism Explosion on their executive board for the, their international board for the last five years and was part of uh, American Tract Society and different evangelism ministries. And, and, I, and, and, and I'll talk to people, and, and if you're honest about it, how many people are afraid to share their faith? What will they think? What if they say no? What if and we worry about all this stuff. You know what? I, don't even, I was there at one point. The love of God just changes all that. Now I just look for people to share with. And it's not a burden. It's not what are they going to think. It's the love of God. And, I, and I'm watching my time, but when we moved, our house, we had a house that needed a lot of work. I used to make my, life, my living, put myself to school doing house renovations. So I did most of all the work herself, but as you get older and you get away from that, how, you know, it used to be where I took one trip to Lowe's to do an assignment, do, do build something. I took 20 trips because I forgot everything. Now you've been there, haven't you? And at one point, I went and, and uh, I, I ride a motorcycle. So I went to, I needed a little parts. So I thought, I'll get on the motorcycle, at least make this trip to Lowe's fun. And I pull up my motorcycle, and I pull into the little parking spot for motorcycles, and, and I'm, right now I'm on a, a Suzuki DL1000, so a Japanese bike. So I pull in there, and as I get my stuff, I walk out, and there's this six foot, two or three, 250, 60 pound, burly, tattooed, leathered up guy who just pulled his Harley in right beside my, my DL1000 Suzuki. Now typically, how do they feel about foreign bikes? Hey, he's big, all burly guy. And I walked up and I thought, you know what, I don't know how this is gonna go, but I thought, I just, I, and my wife was wanting me back. I never get, I, it takes me forever to get anywhere because I, I didn't talk to people now. And, and I just go and I said, I said, how's it going? He said, nice bike. Instead of him attacking my foreign bike, and this stuff, he said, he started telling me all about his bike. And, and then I, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to share the gospel with this guy. He needs to hear the gospel. And so I get talking to him a bit, and he said, we talk about riding, bike. And he says, you know, I'd love to go to Calgary, Alberta, do a ride up there. I said, oh, man, I used to live in Calgary. I can tell you all about all the places up there. It's beautiful. He says, well, I got a friend there. So I said, well, who is he? Like, I got a friend in Texas. Who is he? I may know him. <laughs> and I said, who is he? He says, well, he's up there. He, work, he works up in Calgary, and he's, and he's humming and hawing with me. And, and I'm just pushing him, pushing him, not in a bad way. He may have felt that way. Probably not. And uh, we could talk, and I said, he says, well, he's part of this organization. What kind of organization? What's well, a Christian, he's kind of homosexual, a Christian organization. I said, really, what is it? He says, well, it's a, a church. I said, really, what kind of church? What's well, a Baptist, 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 and he's kind of mumbling, Baptist church. I said, well, I taught at the Canadian Southern Baptist Seminary up there. I know all the Baptist churches there. There's not many of them. Who is it? And he tells me, his name is Bo Neal. And I thought, well, I used to teach his kids, his sisters in Sunday school. I know his mom and where the, my wife are, the reason he's there at the school. And so I get talking to him. I thought, okay, we find out, I find out he's a Christian. And then at the end, he says, well, you know, I'm a part of this Christian bikers group ministry, and I'd like to invite you to it. And I thought, if I was his pastor, I'd have got after him. But I thought, buddy, I've been here with you this whole time, and I've had every opportunity for you to share the gospel with me. And it wasn't until you found out it was safe that you invited me to your ministry. I don't think I want to attend. But I thought, I was going there to share with the gospel with him, but I thought, I wanted to bring him alongside, and we didn't have the time in the parking lot, but if I was his pastor, I'd have put my arm around him and said, let me share you something about the love of God that compels us to share. And let me tell you, you had 20 opportunities to share the gospel with me, and you're afraid to. And I thought, you need to know about the love of God. I'll go talk to the person at Walmart. 
I got a lady running at me with a car when I took my class out to share the gospel last semester. But it doesn't matter. It, it takes the pressure off. It's not me having to discipline myself to go do it. It's not me having to fulfill my obligation as a Christian to go do it. It's not me having starts and doing well and then falling to the side and up and down and everything in it. You know why? Because I'm taking my cue from Paul, a guy that was consistent all the way through. And when they asked Paul, why did he do the things he do? He said, it boils down to one thing. It's that overwhelming love of God that gets a hold of my heart, presses it all together, and puts me out for action for his sake. That my life is no longer mine anymore. I'm a new creation. I've been given a ministry of reconciliation. I'm an ambassador for him as though God was pleading through me. I would have to say today, if you've not, if you sit here today and I'm describing this love of God and you say, you know what, I don't know if I've ever experienced that, then today is the day to experience it. You have a wonderful pastor and staff and church that will walk with you and share this love of God that you can experience that. If today you are a Christian, let me ask you, how have you been impacted by the love of God? What motivates you in your Christian life? What is the motivating factor in your Christian life? I promise you that if you allow love to be the motivating factor, it will set you on a wonderful adventure. So my challenge to you today is to be sensitive this week for how the love of God starts compelling you to go out and share and walk with people in your job, in your school, in your family, in your neighborhood, that everywhere you go realize that it's not your agenda, it's his, and start looking, where is my Lord working? Because he's got me as an ambassador. And don't be worried. Don't be afraid. You'll find that when you let the love of God compel you and push you out, you can't help but share. I can't help talk about my wife and my kids. I love them. They love me. It's easy to talk about. In the same way, I can't help but talk about my Lord. He loves me. He sent his son to die for me. I'm overwhelmed with him. I haven't got to the point where John is yet. I'm hoping to be in this wonderment and the sense of the love of God. But I do know that as I go out, he's going to compel me and he's going to put me all over the place. And all I have to do is bear witness. And you know what? Real honestly, I found people respond pretty well to love. They don't see a lot of it in our world, but they should from us. So I'm going to have a word of prayer with you. And I pray that as, as, we, as we do that, that you will let these words from Paul, an example from Paul, be a challenge for us today, and then I'll turn it back to your pastor. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. Thank you for the example as you walk with Paul and he shared. But Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you have sent your son to die on the cross to pay the debt for our sins, that we could be in a love relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for each of us that we would allow that love to overwhelm us this week, that we would be bold in our declaration that we serve a God who loves, that we would let your love shape us, form us, press us in, and push us out into this world that desperately needs to hear of your love. We pray these things in your name. Amen.